Hey, brother bear. Hello. Welcome to this Summon Greater podcast. A podcast about about homebrew <gasps> and homies. Oh my god! Whoa, both of them. Two things can be true at <laughs> once. <laughs> Two things can be true at the same time. Last episode was really good and a little heavier than I expected. I think. Yeah, just, we got into some real deep stuff. Yeah, not because it was like hard. It was just it was super real. Yeah, and I was super glad to talk about that kind of stuff because it's things that I think about often. Yeah, with D and D as big of a part of my life as it is, I often wonder if I'm being a bit of a child. Yeah. As a result, you know, <laughs> and like that goes back a little bit to the dynamic that we talked about last episode in which, you know, it's it's a game that at its at the core of its essence is just, you know, still this game of make believe that you were always playing as a kid. But also it's a game that grows with you. And that's mm-hmm. what I have to keep reminding myself of. I have to I have to keep bringing up to myself like, yes, this is actually a very worthwhile social investment. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I've struggled with it before too, where I just thought of like, man, I'm playing this like nerdy little kids game, whatever. <clears throat> Until I saw TikTok today, where it was this guy just making fun of sports bros. He's like, you got to be a real fucking nerd to watch sports and be like, um, actually, I don't know if that was a catch or not. We're going to have to watch the replay yeah. and see if his toe touched the line. Yeah. And I was like, okay, we're all stupid. That's so, <laughs> that's so true. Like, oh man. Like, yeah, I didn't, <laughs> that's really interesting to think about. We're, we're all just playing games. Like in, in yeah. my in my workplace, in my workplace especially, uh, people are very vocal about sports. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, some of the people in more popular roles <laughs> in my workplace are really into the gambling side of it. Oh, yeah. You got all the MGM, FanDuel. <laughs> A lot of FanDuel going on <laughs> on that floor. Uh-huh. Um, Dude, I get those ads all the time, and I'm like, why? Uh, why me? I don't even watch sports. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've never met until working this job anyone who who legitimately partakes in that. And now it's like it, it's it's everywhere in there. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so like none of us have moved beyond. <laughs> Everything we as a race of humankind do is made up. We have made all of it up. No one is free of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and everybody <laughs> needs a, a little bit of entertainment. Uh huh. Um, and this, this is ours. Yeah. And I can be fairly content with that. And I, I think I, I slot it very comfortably into the need for socialization as well. Yeah, Absolutely. It brings people together, and like we talked about with Tyler last episode, it's really, really good bonding. It's really good for, like, introspection and learning about yourself and your friends. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, it's better for that than sitting on a couch going, Touchdown! I think, (laughs) I I feel like it's better than that, and I feel like it's better than gambling. 
Uh, yeah, God, anything, anything is better than I feel gambling. Like most things are better than gambling. You could like beat your head against a wall for twenty minutes and still come out with the same amount of money you went in with. A lot of the time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So on that note, in this episode, we're talking about gambling in D and D. You know, I wasn't intending on that segue, but you did talk about that earlier. <laughs> I did mention it, but no, I don't <laughs> I don't have that stuff prepared. We also had a really heavy session two days ago. <laughs> God, that was only two days ago. That was only two days ago. Uh, it was 12 hours. Yeah. Roughly. Give or take. That's the longest. An emotional scar or two. That's the longest session that any of us have ever had, I think. But is it the longest that we have gone playing D&D in one sitting? I think the answer is no and no. Oh? I you think we've done one longer session I than don't, that? I don't know if you were there for it. It uh-huh. might have been one of the campaigns that you weren't involved in okay. yet. I feel like we did with Bailey's campaign a while ago. Okay. I feel like we had like a little over a 12 hour session. Okay. <clears throat> but nowhere near as intense. That one was mainly because we were just like, we're going to go from here on the map, like this point, to that point way the fuck over right. there. I think it was just long because there's just necessity of like travel and we were doing a ton of role playing, which was really sick. That's cool. But yeah, no, I think this was the most intense episode or session we've had that has gone past like six or seven hours. Yeah, it was a lot of it. It was an unbelievable amount of lore drop. Yeah. Oh, Um, my God. It's so good. And it was a lot of heavy stuff for Mm -hmm. every character involved. Yeah. Very, very cool shit. Yeah. And we almost lost one. Yeah. Fuck, that was scary. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. I think, I think in the grand scheme of everything that happened in that session, we just kind of keep glossing over. I do anyway, mentally. The fact that like, like Bailey's character almost died. Let's, let's also. And would have, had we not <clears throat> gone back to get the one NPC that had revivify. Yeah. Cause I was going to say, let's also not forget Bailey's character did die. Yeah. Failed her third death save. Yeah. And we had to fucking sprint over there with the revivify. That was stressful. It, shit. it was, it's very lucky that we managed to kill the boss in the same turn. Yeah. Oh my God. That was insane shit. Like, <laughs> I was I, I was texting with Aaron metagaming a little bit because because she was controlling the NPC that had the revivify. Yeah, and I'm uh-huh. like, what are you going to do? Your character has revivify. You have to uh, fix this. Her, she didn't. She didn't. Uh, she didn't say it aloud because she didn't. She didn't have to do this at the end of the day. Uh, but her plan was to actually have her character open a dimension door mm-hmm. to boop the NPC over to Bailey's character. Yeah. If necessary. And I think that would have worked out fine. Yeah, that would have been good. Mm-hmm. TLDR. Um, we fought a demon of time whose whole shtick was he could freeze time and like yoink one person into a bubble where time was moving for them for one minute, which is 10 rounds of combat mm-hmm. if you're in combat, but everyone else is frozen. So 
all of us fucking blinked. And then when we opened our eyes back up, Bailey's character was like fucking laying on the floor dead. <laughs> it was a, it was a leave the room moment too. Yeah, uh-huh. So we didn't even know what happened. Mm-hmm. We had no clue. We just was like, "All right, everybody come on back in." Yeah, Bailey's character's fucking gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <coughs> yeah, and then dumped on the ground a turn later. Yeah. Ugh, sucks. Mm-hmm. Hated that guy. It's a good thing I ripped him in half. Yep. Yep, you turned real big and did that. I got real fucking big, guys. I got large, huge. I got huge. You got huge, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, for those of you not super familiar with D&D height categories, I believe that is roughly 30 feet tall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're, th- this character uh, is using that, um, that Path of the Giant. Is that what it's called? Actually, no. This no? is just um, Rune Knight. Oh, that's right. I yeah. I have heavily considered the path of, path of the giant yeah. for him. It's oh man, it's so hard because I was want this just to, enlarge. So you did, um, kind of. It was a one feature and then enlarge. Okay. <coughs> so for Rune Knight, they get the giant's might ability. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Where they grow to um, large, if they are not large already. Okay. And then they get a little bit of a damage buff. But then I was also controlling an NPC who was a wizard and knew enlarge reduce. That's right. So yeah. I made myself big, and then she made me even bigger. Very big. Yeah. But yeah, it's honestly, it is really tough, because right now I have this character with one level of barbarian, for um, unarmored defense and for rage. And then my the rest of my plan was to go full 19 levels of fighter. Mm-hmm. But I'm really tempted now to go a few more levels of barbarian just to get the um, path of the giant. Mm. But I feel like it would be I would be sacrificing more than I'd be gaining. You think? Because have you built it out both ways? <clears throat> not yet actually which is kind of why I'm like I don't really know <coughs> but my theory there is that I already have an ability that lets me enlarge myself okay. and I feel like if I were to take more levels in Barbarian to do Path of the Giant I think they do more with like an enlarging ability toward the beginning of that subclass as well and so I think it would just wind up kind of accidentally stepping over itself as far as class abilities. It sounds like a, a difficult multi-class to do. Specifically with... Or at least to plan for. Yeah, specifically between Rune Knight and Path of the Giant, I think it really would be a mm-hmm. difficult one. I, I had a question, a concept, if you will, pop into my head earlier today. Oh? Um, Actually, I, I've kind of been sitting on this for a while, but haven't really been able to put words to it. Um, and that is like how to keep high stakes with a low scale. Because something that um, I want for a campaign, whether or not it's the next one I run, is to be able to keep 
the the stakes very high without necessarily <laughs> having to go into saving the world territory. Okay. Yeah. Um like or a like, very local high stakes thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh or you know you, you know trying to do extra dimensional shit real quickly. Like I I would love to have a a long running thing that that feels like it's far short of, you know, god killing type shit yeah like for it feels a really long really time. impactful but yeah. you're not like the hero of the realm yeah um the the issue is that like i want to have a a consistent sense of progression and D D in later player character levels and later challenge ratings gets a pretty like world changing oh yeah as far as like how powerful like late level spells and shit yeah. are. So I've, I've kind of been thinking about like, what is the solution to not getting to the insanely crazy shit, but still keeping things feeling really interesting often enough. And is it just, you don't level up very often. I think that's definitely one way to do it. It's got to be part of it. Yeah, I know that's part of it because, like, I when I say easy in this situation, it's not like cop out easy. It's just like that is one of the best options to do exactly what yeah. you're just saying. Is you only go up to like level six or seven mm-hmm. for speci- if if that's the whole campaign or if that's just the arc of the campaign that you want it to go on. You only go up to level six or seven, maybe eight, something like that. And that's like, you made it like, Mm -hmm. well, damn, good job. I think the other thing that you could do, it sounds a little weird. I'm processing this as I go. Make the world bigger. So like if you want to go to level 20 and still have your player's issue be a like a localized, centralized thing. If you make it so that <clears throat> the rest of your world is immense and doing its own shit and dealing with its own shit, and you impress upon your characters like the importance of like you have to deal with this before you can go out and like even interact with any of that. Like not even necessarily like, oh, you're trapped here or anything like that, but like there is something really, really serious happening in these like three or four towns. Mm -hmm. So you have to spend your entire energy right now making sure this stays contained. Right. Because if it escapes, then it becomes a world ending thing or whatever. So like if you stay here and handle that and then the the rest of the world is doing its own thing and it's got a lot of stuff going on Mm -hmm. i feel like that's another way that you could maybe approach it yeah i say it would be hard to keep local politics interesting for very long but it wouldn't it wouldn't just have to be like petty (laughs) shit necessarily yeah and also you can get really intricate with player backstories Uh in that situation like the more detailed and like interwoven your story is the more your players and your characters are going to stick around and like really invest in what's happening mm-hmm. in a specific location. Think of the campaign we just played a couple days ago. Like we were just talking about that one. This was a really, really ridiculously intense session, but then also consider like the, the beginning two or three 
sessions of that campaign, we were in like one or two like villages. It wasn't even really big enough to be called a town. Mm-hmm. And we still had like something was going on and we really needed to figure it out. And yeah. we had a thing to do. <clears throat> and then we got invested in this NPC and then we got invested in that NPC. And it kind of became like, yeah, we could take off and go in whatever direction and just be like, all right, you guys are on your own. But instead we chose to stay and help with like several different things. That's interesting. This, this campaign that we're talking about that, that Sophia is running is, is what my mind keeps going to when, when I think about, um, like unbelievably high stakes, uh, cause, cause, you know, we're we're interact we be interacting with gods and shit on a personal level. And yeah. uh, you know, angels and demons and fucking uh uh we our characters have far more influence over the world around them th- than what their actual capabilities would suggest. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. very divinely assisted yeah. in in what we're doing. If we like completed all our all our, our our mission and all of our objectives at the moment, we would go back to pretty hype, but but relatively mundane in comparison. Uh, local stuff. I mean, it's it's a really good example, like the difference between what can go on on a really, really large scale and what can happen on a really small scale. Like, like you said, cause right now where we're at in the set, in the campaign, it is global scale. It is like save the world. Like we have a lot of shit on our plates right now <clears throat> compared to the first couple sessions where I was playing a different character and we were all just bitching at each, at each other and no one really knew who was, who or Mm -hmm. what was going on. And then all of a sudden we were trying to find a lost cat and whatever. And that all felt really intense. Mm -hmm. Like we, we would get heated and emotional and we were freaking out over trying to find the cat and trying to get back like stolen alcohol. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and for the, for the character progression that has happened, it doesn't necessarily feel like we've progressed beyond that yeah in terms of how our characters interact um <coughs> like you know like i said if if the circumstances suddenly became different and all was well it would it would be like that again yeah i think you're absolutely right um, <laughs> it's just a bunch of fucking dumbasses it's going, just what do we do it's interesting like this isn't a new concept in in media or fantasy at all um but just the idea of like the the party or the protagonist being used by you know powers beyond their control yeah that's kind of what's going on um and that is that is a lot for our characters to think about and it should be oh yeah oh yeah and there's still so much character backstory yet to uncover, and I'm so fucking excited mm-hmm. for everyone's. Yeah. 
It's going to be so good. Yeah. I mean, it's like it, we were talking with Sophia earlier, and it's like I said, you know, um, some of the shit that happened in the last session, uh, my character, Vori, doesn't know how to process, really. Um, yeah. And that was like, like I was struggling the whole time with, that. like, how the hell does he feel about this? And that's, that, like, that question is itself truthful. He doesn't know. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I think that's true of everyone in the campaign right now. Mm-hmm. We're all kind of looking at, there was some really, really serious, crazy shit that just happened in the, in the last session. And everyone kind of looked at it and went, this is more than just saving someone's lost cat. Mm-hmm. Like, this is very different. And now I don't know what to do with right. this. <laughs> she did say from the outset of this campaign that it would get pretty crazy pretty quickly. Part of that has to do with uh, so much having already happened in this world, uh, in other campaigns that y'all have been a part of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this is kind of a continuation campaign, which is really right. interesting to think about. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> It's really cool seeing the way, because the other thing that she told me was um, depending on what city we had gone to next would have determined how quickly things started moving. Mm. Because the city that we went to was the one that had the most lore in it and the most stuff going on. So we just were just like, yeah, we're going to that one. She was like, okay. I just drawn (laughs) straight to it. Yeah. That's something I have an urge to resist i think but i struggle to because the main quest line feels rather urgent yeah mm-hmm. that's like, my oh my god that is, that is like my worst pet peeve about myself uh-huh. playing any kind of a game i am under such a time crunch yeah like i'm like what is the next thing that we have to do i have to be doing it mm-hmm. right now i think the only game where that hasn't happened to me has been Baldur's gate yeah like <laughs> i think it's insane i i think in modern rpgs i've i've fully realized that you can um in, in video games at least you you can and should do a lot of side quests and i love doing that because i love the shit that you get from doing <laughs> that uh-huh uh and and like there's a lot of really cool and important world building hidden inside quests a lot of the time in a lot of these games. I don't know if it's hard to translate to D and I just, I, th- I think maybe it just, well, it's hard for some DMS. Like maybe I am a cataclysmic level world ending event DM. Uh-huh. Like that is how I write my campaigns. Yeah. I have a ton of fun with it and I want to be able to write side quests mm-hmm. and like cool shit that's happening in this tiny little village. But that is what's really hard for me mm-hmm. is like getting down to people level in D and D and really going at a story from people level. Mm-hmm. Cause when I'm writing my worlds, I start from, I start from, okay, what do I think I want the world to look like? And then I go into, all right, now, what does the pantheon look like? Yeah. And I start writing out the gods and writing out like the ultimate power beings, whatever. And then my motivation draws me into like, do these gods like each other? Do like what happened to the gods? How did the gods come into being? Blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And then it just 
trickles down until I'm eventually looking at like kingdoms and stuff and how the kingdoms interact and like what the kingdoms look like as far as like what's their politics and how do they interact with their um, people in the kingdoms and everything. But then once I've gotten to like kingdom level, my motivation has pretty much run out. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, cool. I've got this person's at war with that person, like these kingdoms. And there's this crazy thing happening behind the scenes and all this like pseudo political, whatever, blah, 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 blah. What are the people in the city doing about all this? I don't fucking know. I'll come back to that. And that kind of is where I get stuck. Yeah. Yeah. I think the most recent example of a side quest done on purpose in a, a campaign that I've played in is uh, this this last session that we played in Aaron's campaign in which most of the session was dedicated to the the most the most random side quest. Yeah, just fucking exploring a forest. Well, the the forest and specifically this this little pond that we found. Oh yeah, the with fountain. the statue in it, <clears throat> the fountain mm-hmm. rather. Um, Maybe it was a statue. It was, I think it was just a statue. I forget exactly. I don't know. Uh, there was water and there was a statue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of our PCs uh, talked to, to the 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 being inside it, um, and offered up something really important to her and then got a, got a permanent plus one to a, a stat of her choosing mm-hmm. uh, in return. Um, and that was kind of sick and not like necessary, you know, which I, I mean that in a good way, obviously. Yeah, no, it wasn't like we have to do this. There's a timeline. There's like whatever. Yeah. It was just like, oh shit, we found a cool thing. Yeah. But that's going to be like, permanently useful oh yeah you know yeah. Uh, even though even though we <laughs> could have just you know kept up with the main storyline yeah for the whole session we'll like walk right past it yeah it is a really hard balance mm-hmm. it was really hard yeah because like you want to progress the primary point of the story but then you also want to go exploring and you want yeah. you want cool shit and you want to find random things <clears throat> yeah I, I guess the thing I have to be thinking about is just like what, uh, how how can I divert my party at any <laughs> point in time? What else is around when things are happening? What else is going yeah. on? Yeah, yeah. Without without, you know, feeling like I'm pulling them away from an urgent project. And I think there's something to be said too for the ability as a DM to say, here is one little hint toward where you could possibly go next Mm -hmm. rather than saying like your next objective is in this city, go find it. Like just being able to say like, what are you guys looking for? Okay. You found a scrap of paper and it's got a language on it that you don't know. Yeah. And in order for that to be translated, you need to find someone who knows the language, start talking to people, figure it out. Yeah. Like to be able to like really drag things out and kind of lead your players on a little bit of a wild goose chase is usually the best part of D and D because that's when players will discover their favorite NPC or will make a deal with someone to get a new magic item or something like that. Like there's, there's almost always something 
really fun happening mm-hmm. when you go off script right. for like the, the primary yeah. story. I, I think it's also important to have the party continue always to do things for people because that's often how a campaign starts out, right? Like at, yeah. at the begin, the first thing you had us do in yours was mm-hmm. um, just just follow follow the most random lead on a flyer that was placed down in in our table in the first tavern that we start out in, right? Yeah, you guys actually got to do the uh, we meet in a tavern and go yeah. on a quest. Yeah, the classic. Like- <laughs> um, you know, if we're if we're looking to keep having this this kind of um progression and experience as an adventuring party, that's the kind of thing we need to keep seeking out until you get to the point where like you as a party have gained enough reputation to be above pulling flyers off a bounty board in a tavern and like local authorities are coming to you Mm -hmm. and saying like, Hey, we didn't know you were in town. Can you help us with this thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. To, To spoil it a little bit, this is, uh, sort of the intention that I designed the main setting of the campaign that I ran a while ago and plan to get back to eventually um, <laughs> is, is doing assignments as a student, like yeah. in the field um, and, you know, giving, being, being frequently given a choice between like, like three to five different things that you could do on any given week. Um, Good. That's just what we need in D and D homework. Well, <laughs> it seems like y'all want it. <laughs> we do. It's, it's such a fucking cool concept. Honestly, yeah. it's so fun. I think the question of setting and scale of a campaign are age old questions. And I think they will continue to be. Yeah. It's, I definitely know people who could absolutely thrive in a four or five town campaign. Mm -hmm. Like that's it. That's the whole thing. There's no like you got to hop in a boat and travel for two weeks to get to this other island kind of a thing. It's just you cross a river once or twice and you're just back and forth between those two, those three or four towns and that the whole campaign happens there. Mm -hmm. And then I know some other players were they would go fucking stir crazy. They'd be like, well, I'm getting the hell out of here. Yeah. I need to see what's over that horizon. Let's go. What's out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it all boils down to just like knowing yourself as a player or as a DM and then talking with your DM. If you're a player or if you're a DM, talk to your players and just figure out what everybody wants. Mm-hmm. Cause like I said, with mine, I, I struggle with putting together some of the like smaller localized stuff. So I went with something that is a classic and it's really hard to fuck up, Mm -hmm. which is you meet in a tavern, you go on a quest. Yeah. There's a, there's a flyer on the table, whatever. And y'all go do the quest. Yeah. No, that's a smart way to think about that. I mean, you're, you're playing with a party who knows how to fill in the blanks. Yeah. And especially your party wants to, want to be together. Mm -hmm. So if you give them reasons to rally around each other, unless you've got a really weird party or like a couple 
out of the box, lone wolf kind of players, they're going to take opportunities to rally around each other and be excited about things and get more connected with each other. Mm. I think with that mindset, you got lucky with the characters that we chose to play. Oh my God. Okay. All right. I got lucky in that sense, but also fuck you guys (laughs) so much. What do you mean? (laughs) I have... I have every single player in my campaign except for one Mm -hmm. is like, whoa, guys, this is great. (laughs) Look at the world. The sun is shining. We're on an adventure. And then I have one character that's like, this is great. Yeah. Okay. All right. Where do we go next? Everyone chose to play a character that's like, far more optimistic than anything (laughs) that we would normally come up with except for Aaron who would normally do that and chose to do the opposite. (laughs) So freaking funny. I am very, very excited for again, more character backstory. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited for everyone to start like really getting into what's going on with people. And man, just really excited for you guys to like get out on the road and just be like traveling together and mm-hmm. having to just talk to each other for like days on end. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's going to be fucking chaos. Yeah. yeah. I oh. do, do you have the next session kind of ready? Um, kind of. Okay. I have like an intro to the next session. The problem is I don't know what you guys are going to do. Well, like we're in a bit of a pickle, like yeah. like a dragon just appeared in a very public space and we need to figure out yeah. whether or not to deal with it and how if we choose to very quickly. Yeah, exactly. So I have to like write you guys a few different options as far as like if you choose to do this, what happens? What options do mm-hmm. you have? If you choose to do that, what happens? What options? So I'm kind of I'm working on that because I really want to play again so badly. Yeah. But like, man, did I hit a fucking creative wall with yeah, that I get shit. It. And it was it. the most frustrating thing ever. Because yeah. when I started this campaign, I was like, I want to play every week. I want to be going. I want this to be like firing on all cylinders. Yeah. Let's do this. And then I was like, I'm stuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it is helpful that we have uh, <coughs> that we have options for DMs. Yeah. Oh my God. We're in so many fucking campaigns. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's why we've been able to play so consistently. Like everyone, everyone gets as long of a break as they need. That is very true. And I didn't nice think about it like that, but to be honest, that is extremely nice. Yeah. 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 But yeah, all that to say, I can probably have the next session ready in like a week or so. Okay. No pressure. We'll get there. (laughs) No pressure, but I'm very excited about it. (laughs) No, I'm not. I'm not taking any pressure at all from this. I am. If anything, I'm putting pressure on myself because Uh, I want to. I want to play so bad. Yeah. Hey, were you working on something? You mean like a magic item? Yeah. I sure was. What is that about? It sure is a magic item. I will tell you that. I have not finalized the mechanics of this shit because this is fucking insane. It's just insanity. I had this idea because I saw a picture 
on Pinterest of um, artwork that someone did for a character. And they had these like ring bracelets, like the bangle, bangly, whatever yeah. bracelets. Shadow the Hedgehog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Basically. And they were like, um, like brass and like the angular kind of a design. Uh-huh. But they were like way bigger than the wrist. So it was like, there was like a good inch. Okay, the so yeah, Shadow the Hedgehog. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> like very magical, whatever. It's crazy. And then, like from the ring outward, their hands were like blackened and like smoldering. Oh. And I was like, ooh. Ooh. You said you saw this somewhere? On Pinterest. On Pinterest. On Pinterest. You got an image for me? I see. Mm-hmm. That's something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I saw that and I was like, oh, wow, that'd be really cool to, you know, like have like a magic item, whatever that like maybe like supplements your unarmed attack or something mm-hmm. like that. <clears throat> and it uh, slowly developed into way more than that. So this is a magic item that I am lovingly calling Chains of the Ogre. So rather than have them be those bracelets that mm-hmm. were in the image, um, I decided that these would be chains, like blackened, scarred chains. <clears throat> so when you attune to these blackened chains, they wrap themselves around your forearms like bracers. Your hands become dark, seeming to look like they are smoldering. While wearing these chains, you gain a natural attack that deals 1d12 bludgeoning damage plus your strength modifier. At the beginning of each of your turns in combat, you take 1d6 fire damage that cannot be reduced as your hands smolder and smoke. In addition, you gain resistance to fire and cold damage. Baseline, pretty strong magic item. Mm -hmm. Like, you get a natural attack, and it's 1d12, so it's a really it, it's a really impactful, like, you can actually use this as a weapon. Yeah. And then I started thinking, okay, Chains of the Ogre. There have been some really interesting magic items with, like, you know, an entity trapped within them. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I wonder if I could do something like that. So, I had it so that... Oh, where's my... I lost my place where I was reading. There it is. When you wear these chains, your hands are not your own. Reaching through the breaches in its containment, an infernal ogre's hands now protrude from the chains instead of your own. I see. So, like, the the blackened, smoldering hands Uh are, like, you still move them, but they are no longer your hands because this is, like, a teeny tiny fraction of a portal kind of a thing. <clears throat> if you wear the chains for more than 24 hours, you begin to feel the urges of the ogre. That makes sense. Seeking combat at all costs and developing an insatiable hunger. If you drop below half health while wearing the chains, you must make a DC 14 constitution saving throw. If you fail, the chains move up your arms to your biceps. Whoa. And then you gain more effects and more abilities. 
When the chains are on your biceps, you gain immunity to fire damage and get a plus two to your strength score. Um, This is all in addition to what you had on your forearms. Mm -hmm. While in combat, instead of taking 1d6 fire damage per round, you take 1d10, and it cannot be reduced despite your um, immunity. Your appetite becomes unbearable, and if you do not eat three times as much food as normal, you grow irritable to the point of picking fights with anyone around you and threatening to eat them. Oh, wow. And then if you drop below half health again while wearing the chains and they're on your biceps, you must make a DC 18 constitution saving throw. And if you fail, the chains travel up to your neck. While the chains are around your neck, you gain three legendary resistances per day, and you make all unarmed attacks at advantage. But you also automatically fail all insight and perception checks, Mm -hmm. and you have disadvantage on all wisdom saving throws. And I was going to work in some other stuff in there because the, the idea of these this item is that as you use it, if you fall weak enough and then you lose that, uh, you fail that saving throw, the ogre is slowly escaping. It's, it's confinement and like taking over your body. So you get some like really serious buffs, the higher you let it go, but it also is really, really bad. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm still toying with kind of how I want to approach it mechanically, uh-huh. but I thought that was a really really fun. Yeah. So you can concept. you can unequip it, right? That's what I'm not sure about. Right. Like I feel like while it's still on your forearms, yes, you can unattune and you can whatever. Mm-hmm. Maybe when it's on your biceps, you have to make like a save to unattune. Yeah. But I think if you let it get to your neck, you don't really have a choice yeah. anymore. The thing is, like, like it's. It's made a little bit like a cursed item, um, yeah. Just, just in in how the uh-huh. in in how the negative effects work, um, but it's rather fast acting in its progression. Mm-hmm. That that's something that cursed items don't normally do is, you know, like expand progress. That yeah. yeah. Um. So that uh, if if you can't unequip it and you need to like have something get you out of it right uh like like with any it needs to be pretty strong yeah yeah and so i think i think your idea like the cursed item is fucking spot on Mm -hmm. like to be able to say like okay at this level it requires you to cast remove curse yeah to get rid of it but like maybe at like the like i said at like the forearms you can still choose to unattune at the biceps like you would have to make a saving throw if you mm-hmm. wanted on a tune. And then the last one requires a remove curse. Yeah. <clears throat> it, it feels like it needs a little bit of work. I'm not exactly sure what yeah. the issue is though. No, I definitely agree with you. Um, cause, <clears throat> cause I think it makes sense as a concept and I think it's good. Um, it's just mechanically it hasn't landed yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's in, uh, it's in the in between a little bit. Yeah. Cause I, the whole point of it is like, I want you to like have this item where you're like, whoa, like this makes my unarmed attacks like really good. 
I don't even need a weapon anymore. I can just use this and like you keep using it or whatever. And it gets, it gives you so much more power, especially when you like give yourself over to it and like let it kind of have more access yeah. to your life force. And you basically become this insane brawler kind of character mm-hmm. to the point of like losing control of your faculties and you no longer recognize friend from foe, yeah. whatever you had a I idea. So <laughs> I think that if, if you gave this to a player, you would have to make it known. You would have to make the progression mechanic known. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, Absolutely. Just, just in the spirit of fairness, you would have to make it understood that, or, or maybe don't. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, maybe that doesn't have to be known. Well, here's the thing, though. We just had actually, again, referring to the last session that yeah. we did, we just had a situation where your character had a cursed item. Yeah. And you yourself, as a player, actually called out the DM and was like, "Hey." this big thing that just happened, I think it might affect my cursed item. Mm -hmm. Is this a thing? And like, obviously you didn't say that out loud. Like it was like you texted her. Yeah. But Sophia responded and was like, Oh my gosh, you're right. Yeah. That absolutely would be causing something Mm -hmm. to happen here. And so you played it very well in character and you actually wound up getting rid of the cursed item because of the event that happened. Mm -hmm. I think that is exactly how you need to be able to play a cursed item. Yeah. Because like mm-hmm. this specifically one with a progression like this, it really requires your player to know what's coming and what's going on. Yeah. Even if like you don't tell them what the mechanics develop into in the next stage, if you tell them like, hey, if you drop below certain hit points and you fail this save, it gets worse. Yeah. Or it gets more powerful, but yeah. the curse gets stronger, whatever. Like you can kind of leave it up to them. Like, do you want to tempt fate and give it a shot? Or do you want to say, uh, uh-uh, I'm taking this shit off. That's scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's fun. The, the other thing I'm thinking about, if you, if you get to the point where it gets to your neck and you do remove curse, um, you can't use that shit again mm. because when when you manage to get this thing off your body and the ogre is as active as it is, it breaks its containment. Oh, and then it becomes you like got to fight it. Now. Oh, fuck, dude, that's so good. Yeah, that yeah. is definitely. I think that's the piece. <laughs> Because at that point, it's like you have to basically disenchant the chains themselves, Mm -hmm. which are holding the ogre in its... Yeah. God, yeah, that's exactly what it needs. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and they might have some some kind of residual enchantment afterwards. Just, you know, like... like, I mean, maybe they just keep like the fire resistance and cold resistance kind of a thing. Maybe that's it. Hell yeah. That's pretty cool. That's sick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. God, that makes me so fucking excited. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? You been working on anything? I have, but I'm debating saving it. Ooh, cliffhanger? Yeah. We're going to let the people know that that. we got something special coming. Yeah. 
It's kind yeah. of it's kind of a whole thought process behind behind how I got to Ooh, it. Yeah. Love it. Mm-hmm. Love it. Very good. We'll do that and we might as well call it here. Yeah. We'll do a little bit of a uh, slightly shorter episode, yeah. but yeah. This is a good one. This mm-hmm. was really really thought provoking. Yeah. Episode. Yeah, it's it's like stuff this. I've had on my mind for a while. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. Very good. So, that being said, if you've got shit you want us to talk about or items, spells, character concepts that you want to present, you should comment it in any of our social medias or send it to us in full graphic detail to our email address, summongreaterpod at gmail.com or at summongreater on Twitter. Yeah. All that shit. All that shit. And we're going to see you next week. See you later. Thanks for watching.